Hello and welcome to today's service. I got a couple things I want to let you know about. And the first is, it's almost here, less than a month away, is Sunday, April 9th is Easter. We're gonna be holding our service at 10 a.m. on Atascadero High School's field. And following the service, we're gonna do a huge Easter egg hunt for all the kids that are present. And so, that leads me to my next question. Will you help us? We need as many Easter eggs as you are able to help us provide. And so with that, if you'd like to donate, we just need Easter eggs that are pre-filled and taped closed, dropped off anytime during our office hours at our church office. That's, again, that's gonna be for all the kids after the service. It'll just be a great Sunday and super fun with them. To prepare for Easter, we have one more service. It's gonna be our Good Friday service held April 7th at 7 p.m. here on campus, and we would love for you to join us. One last thing we'd like to tell you about is our invite cards for Easter. These will be available in the church office during our normal hours. You can swing by, grab as many of these as you'd like, and on the back, they have information about each service and when and where it will be held. We hope you enjoyed today's message with Pastor Jeff. Well, thank you for joining us. Welcome to ABC. Uh, we're in a series through the Gospel of Matthew. If you've been watching for any time or if you've been attending our services, um, we're up to chapter 12 now. And uh, we come up to one of those verses that um, is a little bit challenging this morning. And at, when, when I read this book, man, I know there's so much life in these pages. And, and you know that about us if you've been around ABC, that we believe this is the inspired and inerrant word of God. And, and that it changes lives. And that's why we're so passionate about it. That's why we teach through verse by verse every weekend. But if I'm being honest, there's verses in here that I wish when we come came up to them, I could just skip over them because either they, um, they create confusion um, or they're just plain hard. And sometimes we get to these verses that are just hard. They're hard to live out. They're hard um, to hear. And this today is one of those days where it's just a bit more convoluted and confusing. Um, but if we skip over verses, if we skip chunks of scripture, what happens is we, we get tossed in the wind, um, whether it be the cultural wind or whether it be historical wind, um, even tradition, the church tradition, we've got to stick to the word and go verse by verse and really ask God, what do you want us to learn from the whole of your word rather than just pick and choose? And so we're committed to it. Um, and as a result, we're going to walk through this verse together today. And the verse is Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, which says this, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. It's a difficult verse. There's an unforgivable sin, apparently, according to this passage, and it raises a lot of questions, a lot of controversies. One of those things where um, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you think, man, my whole faith and my whole worldview is built on the fact that there is total forgiveness for total sin, that Christ forgives everything by his death and resurrection on the cross, that there's atonement. And so when we come up with a verse like this where it says, uh, there will not, it will not be forgiven, man, it creates a lot of tension. And so here's what I like to do today. It's a little different than maybe a normal weekend would be where uh, we'd come up to a verse and we try to explain it to you and walk through some um, kind of tactical ways of applying a verse. Today, I want you to go through the process of application. I want you to go through the process of interpretation. 
and I want you to go through the, the process of just observing what's here. And so I'm gonna walk you through, rather than me just sharing my thoughts and opinions or even sharing a you know, popular um, commentary or what the greatest theologians say about this passage, I want you to dig deep for yourself to walk through this passage and really ask God, what is this teaching me? And in order to do that, I'm gonna use a tool. And I have this tool uh, called an inductive Bible study outline. Um, it's not unique to me. This is an age old tool and resource that basically walks you through three um, steps in, uh, in walking through a passage that's observing the passage, it's interpreting the passage, and it's applying the passage. Um, so we put together in an outline form, it's actually 17 steps um, that you're, we're gonna walk through today as an example for how to do an inductive Bible study on a verse when you come up against a, a question or a challenge or confusing passage of scripture. And so online, if you were to go to abcchurch.org and click on the Watch Now link, um, that's maybe how you got here to watch the sermon, there's a downloadable PDF. So you can click on that and you'll get this inductive Bible study outline so that you can follow along. And what I'm gonna do is just take this verse and we're gonna plug it into the outline and we're gonna walk right down through it so that you can see how I would go about doing a Bible study and hopefully you can glean the tools for you yourself to be able to do the Bible study. And so as we get started, the first step on the list there on the inductive Bible study outline is to begin with prayer. And so I'm going to open us in prayer and we're going to dive into this passage of scripture. Father, we're grateful for your word. We know that it has the power to change and transform. We know that there's life in these pages of scripture. And we know that by your word, Lord, we form a view, an appropriate view of you, an appropriate view of ourselves. And it allows for us to react, um, respond, and behave in a way that is honoring to you. The more we know you and know ourselves by your word, um, the more we can be transformed into your likeness. And so I ask that this passage this morning would be transformational for us. It would help us to see clearly um, what you're doing in the world and what our part in that is. Thank you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. And so, again, I'll read this passage, uh, verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, alone, that verse would be hard enough um, to interpret or to translate. So what we need to do as a second step is we've got to read the verses ahead and behind. That's called getting context. So we're going to go way back, all the way up to verse 15, and we're going to read this verse in the place of the thought that Jesus had. So we're gonna see what he's saying, what's happening at the time, um, why he says this, when he says this, um, and then a few verses after to see what the following uh, teaching is about. So go back to verse 15 with me and follow along. This is a large chunk of scripture, but it's important that you get the complete thought before we start to dive in and make some observations about this passage. So in verse 15, it says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servants whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Verse 22, then a demon oppressed a man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. And how then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, I know that's a big passage. There's a lot happening here, but what we're gonna do as we kind of walk through this outline, we read surrounding verses, we try to get context, what's happening in this moment where Jesus introduces this challenging teaching and we start to make observations about the whole passage. And so I wanna walk you through a few observations. The first thing is Jesus heals right out of the gate in verse 15. And many followed him and he healed them all. It's really important. And we get in 22, this demon-possessed man comes to Jesus and he heals them. Really important and really central to this teaching and the story is the fact that Jesus Christ is healing. It's central because Jesus is revealing his supernatural, his divine nature by healing. He's not pulling a rabbit out of a hat or making a coin disappear. No, no, Jesus isn't revealing through some kind of fanfare or magic. He's revealing himself by restoring humanity to its proper state, by approaching someone who's been broken by the decay and sin of the world and restoring them to the way they were originally created. The brokenness of humanity placed back in its rightly ordered state to make a physical body work as it was intended. To touch the afflicted blind eyes and make them see. The, the injustice will be replaced with mercy. The fact that Jesus heals says everything we need to know about his purpose for humanity and therefore his purpose in saying what he says at the end of the passage. We need to remember this when we start to interpret that the healing Jesus is doing is the central um, conflict in the story. It's the, the very thing that the Pharisees uh, were concerned about. And because healing is so central this, in this moment, Matthew even decides to comment on it. 
and he puts in his own um, little commentary by referring back to Isaiah the prophet. So as Jesus heals him, Matthew says, oh, that was, by the way, because of what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 42, and he quotes this long passage of Isaiah, behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved, etc. And he goes on there to remind the readers, the audience, that Jesus was doing the very thing he came to do, which was to restore the broken, which was to make uh, the justice, the injustice just. He's doing the very thing Isaiah said he would do. And the second thing I notice, if you just make some observations, so first observation, Jesus heals. Second observation is the Pharisees accuse. We're not surprised by that. They, they do that most of the, the gospel accounts. The Pharisees accuse in verse 24. They say, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me not to laugh or chuckle a little bit at the sort of childish accusations that the Pharisees make, especially in this context, um, because it just feels like such a desperate cry to explain away what Jesus is doing. Do you guys remember Louisville Sluggers? Did anybody have a, a Louisville Slugger, like when they were a kid playing baseball? It's a baseball bat, in case you don't know what I'm talking about. I didn't have a Louisville Slugger, nor am I all that athletic. I know you're not surprised. But when I was a kid, you know, we'd go out to the baseball diamond, whether it be at the uh, recess, you know, or maybe after school. And there's always some kid, right, that would just rocket that ball, swinging that bat and send the ball like into another time zone. And he'd always be like standing around, like trying to somehow explain it away. He'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, if I had a Louisville slugger, I could hit it that hard too. Must be nice. Must be nice to have all the things, you know? And you like explain things away to make yourself feel better. And it feels to me very much like a childish reaction of the Pharisees in this moment to be like, well, if we, if we use the name of Satan, we could cast out demons too. Like Jesus is somehow, you know, channeling his inner Satan to do the work that he's doing here is just an audacious claim. And so they accuse Jesus in this moment of actually doing the work of Satan. And I think you need to pay close attention to this line of argument because it's the very thing Jesus is going to address when he comes back to this line in the very end, that they were attributing the work of Jesus, the profound and divine healing work of Jesus to Satan. That's really important. We'll come back to that. But I make that observation second. And then third, uh, make the observation that Jesus does rebuke them right away in verse 25. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and no city or house is divided against itself. He goes on to tell a story about a strong man that if you break into his house, you got to bind the strong man first. Um, he talks about a kingdom divided can't stand. Um, he makes a very logical argument, kind of appeals to our own reason as he starts to rebuke the Pharisees. How could I drive out Satan with Satan, he says, basically. It doesn't make any sense. If, if the oppression that this man was experiencing was demonic, in other words, he didn't have vision or couldn't speak because of the oppression of a demon, then why would a demon or a satanic force cast out another demon that was there to do a specific work of oppression? It doesn't make any sense at all. So he's first appealing to logic. 
And then he starts to argue their motive. In verse 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And here's where we can start to make some sense of Jesus's comment about blasphemy. That what these men were doing, in fact, was blasphemy. Although they accused Jesus often of blasphemy, they were, in fact, blaspheming Jesus. They were speaking against the work of God and attributing it to Satan. But before we jump to the interpretations, let's walk back through our outline here. And if you're following along on your inductive study here, we reread the passage, we read the surrounding verses, we made some observations. What does this passage say? And now we need to ask, what does this passage say in light of the whole book in which it lands? It lands in the book of Matthew. So what does this passage say in light of the gospel of Matthew? And and in order to do that, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is the story of Matthew all about? And I don't have time to dive too deep into that um, right now. But if you've been following along in our series, you've been able to glean some of the key themes from the gospel of Matthew. And so for sake of time, I'll just simply summarize that I think the gospel of Matthew is about Jesus Christ, the king of an eternal and spiritual kingdom, And he's come into the world, born of a woman, to live a perfect life, to sacrifice that life, to dismantle the insufficient religious system and usher in the eternal kingdom. That's the story of the gospel of Matthew. So then we ask ourselves, how does this passage, including the teaching on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, fit within the total theme of the gospel of Matthew? And if If you ask me, it fits really well. If Jesus is the king of an eternal kingdom and he's addressing Pharisees who are claiming he's working for the opposing kingdom, then his hard, harsh rebuke of the Pharisees makes perfect sense. Then we have to ask one more step back. What does this verse or passage say in light of all of the Bible? How does it fit in the total narrative of scripture? Well, if the narrative of scripture if we were to zoom out the way we did in Matthew and simply ask, what is the theme of the Bible? We could gather that the Bible essentially is that God, the creator, created everything for his glory, but creation rebelled and sin entered the world, separating God from his creation, that God established a plan to redeem back creation through his son, Jesus Christ, by sacrificing him in our place. And all authority over creation, including the spiritual forces of darkness, have been given to Jesus, and he will reign our eternal king forever. That's the story of the Bible. So if that's the whole story of the Bible, does this passage and does this teaching fit within that story? Yes, if Jesus is teaching about a kingdom that cannot be divided, if he's teaching about the healing that he just did and and the healing being part of the good side, good force of the kingdom, good spiritual forces versus the bad spiritual forces, it seems to land perfectly in line with the theme of scripture. And as we're doing that, we have to ask ourselves, what what type of literature is this um, that we're reading? Because when we begin to interpret scripture, it's important that we pay close attention. If this is wisdom literature, if it's poetry, if this is historical accounts, um, that it's interpreted differently. We want to look at the type of literature this is, when in our case is Matthew is a gospel, which is a narrative historical account, an eyewitness account 
of the events that transpired, so therefore we can interpret it as literal. In other words, these are literally Jesus' words. And that helps us begin to gather our interpretation. So this passage demonstrates Christ's purpose to restore and to heal humanity from the oppression of evil and sin. And then we can jump down to the second point on our inductive outline here, which is to interpret. And in order to interpret scripture, um, I encourage and urge you always, when you come up to a passage like this, you make some observations, but then you pause and you pray and you ask for the Holy Spirit to light up these ideas and concepts to you so that he would lead us in an appropriate and proper interpretation of scripture. And so pray with me again. Father, we ask that as we try to interpret these words, Lord, you would make it very clear to us what you're doing in this passage. Help us to interpret this line um, that there is an unforgivable sin. We, we, We can't make sense of that without your Holy Spirit illuminating it to us. So we ask that you do so now. In your name I pray, amen. The first way you wanna begin interpreting scripture is to allow for scripture to interpret scripture. What do I mean by that? You read a passage and you get context. So you make sure you're reading that in in the appropriate time and space that it was taking place. But then you look for other scripture that speaks to the very same concept. And that's really important. Rather than going to a um, prevailing thought or opinion about a piece of scripture, whether you know digging out your commentary and flipping through to see what someone else says, or even going to the bottom of your Bible if you've got a study Bible with some study notes, it's important that we allow for scripture to interpret scripture. And so I read in my Bible, Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. If I read that, In my Bible, I've got little tiny letters beside these verses. And in my Bible, there is, right before that verse, the letter F. And that means that I can correspond. It's called a concordance. I can see the corresponding verses that might teach on a similar subject or topic. It's a great study tool for you to be able to look at the bottom in some of the fine print and say, oh, this Bible lists that Mark chapter 3 also teaches on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I can flip over to Mark chapter 3 and I can read his account of the same exact story, which is a really helpful tool for interpretation. Let's read and see what Mark chapter 3 verse 28 says. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but has but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Okay, so we get a really interesting little commentary from Mark. After he says and quotes Jesus, In saying this difficult teaching on the unforgivable sin, he adds his own little comment. He says, because they were claiming he had an unclean spirit. He says, they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So Mark gives us a little head start on the interpretation. They were saying Jesus is possessed by Satan. They were saying that Jesus is doing Satan's work that he's working for the enemy. So we start to get some insight into this unpardonable blasphemy and we can draw a conclusion and make the first interpretation which would say that the blasphemy of the spirit is willfully attributing the work or the miracles of Christ to Satan 
rather than to the Spirit of God. That's the first interpretation I would make based on what Mark says in chapter 3, based on what I see happening here in Matthew chapter 12, that blasphemy of the Spirit is attributing the work of Christ to the work of Satan. And so then we would do a little deep dive on maybe that word blasphemy and that would help us with our interpretation. And that's another tool that you can use if you've got a phone or a computer. You can use a Bible app um, that has something called a concordance. And if you have a Strong's concordance, um, a lot of times it'll give you a word definition where you can, um, you can look up the word in English um, to find its original Greek word and explore the meaning of that word, but also find out where else that word is used in scripture. And so in, again, in my study tools, that word blasphemy shows up in the Strong's Concordance as the Greek word blasphemia, which is to slander or speak evil against something. F.F. Bruce calls it defiant hostility. So blaspheming God, blaspheming Jesus, or blaspheming the spirit in this case, is defiant hostility against the work of that thing. And then I look up where that word blaspheme might exist other places in scripture, and I find it in Luke chapter 5, verse 21, and it says, the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And see, they're using the same word Jesus uses in this passage to describe the work of Jesus by saying that he couldn't possibly forgive sin because only God can forgive sin. You see, their blasphemy against Jesus was to believe that Jesus wasn't, in fact, God himself. And we start to see how the Pharisees question the deity of Christ, the divinity of Christ. But notice even according to Jesus, that's not unforgivable. He said, you could blaspheme against Jesus, but that's not unforgivable Blasphemy of the Spirit, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, 31, is different. It's different than blaspheming against Christ himself, different than blaspheming against the Father. So then it leads me to ask the question, okay, why a distinction between the work of the Spirit? And so I do an additional word study when I go to verse 31 and verse 32, where it's where the spirit is listed, and I find out that that word is the word pneuma that's used for Holy Ghost. And then I ask, where else is that word pneuma used in scripture? And I find it in John chapter 16, verse 8, where John teaches, or Jesus teaches in John 16, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is speaking of the Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world. So we start to see the role of the Spirit, that the pneuma, the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin. Therefore, if you're speaking against, if you're blaspheming against, if you have defiant hostility against the Spirit, that means you're defying the conviction of sin, which would mean your own heart could never be convicted of sin, which would mean you would never repent, which would mean you would never receive forgiveness. I know that's a lot. That's a long sentence. It's a mouthful, but I want you to see what's happening. Jesus is saying, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, then you refuse the work of the Spirit 
in allowing you to be convicted of sin, which means you can't repent, which means you can't receive forgiveness. And that's interpretation three. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. So if we slander or oppose that work, we are not convicted of sin and therefore are unrepentant. And it starts to come in focus, at least for me. I hope it is for you. I start to understand what Jesus means when he's saying that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Well, there can't be forgiveness of sin if you refuse to acknowledge the convicting work of the Spirit and repent. Notice at this point in our process, we've only used scripture and one other resource, a Greek word study resource, to interpret scripture. We haven't looked up the prevailing thought of this passage. We haven't Googled it. Um, We haven't gone to some of the leading commentaries. But if you follow along in your outline as we talk about scripture, interpreting scripture, and then using a concordance to find related verses and relating words, then the final step in the interpretation line could be using a commentary, but it should be your last step. And it's just a final step to check your work, basically. Now we go to commentary and say, does what they think about the passage line up with what I assess the passage to be about? And so for that step, um, I'll bring you to a quote um, from a great theologian, Kenneth Barker, who has thought a lot about these verses and passages. And here's what Kenneth Barker says about this verse and passage. The Pharisees have been attributing to Satan the work of the Spirit and have been doing so as Jesus makes plain in such a way as to reveal that they speak not out of ignorance or unbelief, but out of a conscious disputing of what should never be disputed. The distinction between blasphemy against the Son of Man, that's Christ, and blasphemy against the Spirit is that the first is a rejection of the truth of the gospel, for which there may be repentance and forgiveness, whereas the second is a rejection of the same truth in full awareness that that is exactly what one is doing, willfully and thoughtfully and self-consciously rejecting the work of the Spirit, even though there can be no other explanation for Jesus's exorcisms than that. Even though there's no other explanation than to acknowledge that Jesus is God himself and that the work of the Spirit in him through the authority of the Father allows him to restore humanity to its original state, to heal what's been broken. Even though there's no other logical explanation, when you know the truth and you still choose to ignore it or to reject it or even go so far as to blaspheme, to speak against it, there's no chance for repentance. Your heart is hard to the work of the Spirit. And so what Kenneth Barker says seems to fall in line with what we're seeing in this passage. He leaves maybe out one component, one key component that I think is helpful And that's the component of repentance, that if you ignore the work of the Spirit who convicts you of sin, you'll never come to a place of repentance and forgiveness. And I think that's a really important part of this verse. But everything else is in line with what we're reading and seeing and interpreting in Scripture. So we're on the right track. It's a helpful checks and balance kind of approach. And once we've gone through the observe phase on the outline and then the interpret phase, we get down to apply. How do we apply a scripture like this to our lives? What action steps 
can we take? And the first question we ask after praying about appropriate application is to ask, what does this say about God? The first thing I see is God is not Satan. That's pretty clear. That's an easy application. But rather stands in opposition to Satan. That's also clear. There is a kingdom of darkness that stands in opposition of the kingdom of light. God will not be willfully slandered. I read that in the text too. Defiant hostility toward God will be forgiven. Surprisingly, I mean, if you think about it, what Jesus is teaching here is defiant hostility toward God will be forgiven. Defiant hostility toward Christ will be forgiven, but defiant hostility against the work of the Spirit will not. Why? Because that's the very thing that keeps you from repentance. But if you attribute the spiritual work of God to Satan, stating that the goodness of God is in fact evil, it would be impossible for you to repent. Blaspheming the Spirit requires that you denounce the work of the Holy Spirit and attribute the miracles of Christ to the devil, living in unrepentance. That's the application I extract from this passage. And then I ask, well, is this consistent with the gospel of Matthew? Yeah, but go back to the beginning of Matthew. You see the the teaching of John the Baptist where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God has a good kingdom and he is coming. Therefore, repent so you can receive his good kingdom. Is this consistent with the total story, the meta narrative of scripture? Yeah, I think so. If God is redeeming his people, if he's restoring us back to what was broken, if sin came into the world and decayed and broke and hurt and wounded God's people, separated God's people, and his whole story is to redeem us back to him, then yes, a teaching about not ignoring the work of the spirit is exactly in line with the total narrative of scripture. I think our application is on the right track. And so we get down to this verse and we read a verse about an unforgivable sin, which scares us to death because our entire worldview is based on the fact that total sin can be totally forgiven with total faith in Jesus Christ, that that everything we've always taught and learned is that everything can be restored and renewed by the love and the work of Jesus Christ. And then you have to ask yourself when you get to this part of blasphemy in the Holy Spirit, what if I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Or what if someone I know has blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And my answer to that is simply, you would know it if you did. Or you would know it if you were. Because it's a conscious decision. It's a conscious decision to attribute the work of God to the work of Satan. I've met dozens of people who are hostile to the gospel. Dozens of people who are hostile to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, but I've never met anybody who would knowingly attribute the spiritual work of Jesus to Satan. Maybe you have, I haven't. And so a little bit of the fear of a passage like this starts to melt away for me when I realize the severity of what Jesus is saying here. In fact, some would even argue that the Pharisees weren't even blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They were blaspheming Jesus. And he was warning them, hey, be careful not to call the work of God the work of Satan. And so as we think about how to apply this, 
I think the very thing that we take away from this passage is the thing that we ought to bring to the table every time we try to interpret scripture, and that's a humble posture before a loving and gracious almighty God, a teachable spirit, a broken and contrite heart. I think that we walk away from this passage and we ask, well, what am I supposed to do with this? I think what we're supposed to do is to walk away humbly and say, I'm so grateful for the loving work of the gospel of Jesus and the work of the Spirit to convict me of sin, to lead me to repentance and ultimately to my forgiveness, that I am in awe of what God has done for me. And I would never attribute that to anything other than his grace and his kindness towards me. I think that's how we walk away. And ironically, I think that's the very posture that we bring to the table or we ought to bring to the table when we take an inductive Bible study outline like this and we try to apply it to some of the most difficult passages of Scripture. I think it's coming humbly before God with repentant hearts, seeking Him, honoring the work of the Spirit in our lives and the lives of others, and ask that He would speak to us, through us, as we study His Word, that He would illuminate these words to us, and that we would lean in and embrace the work of the Holy Spirit as we study His Word. So next time you come up to a difficult verse, a confusing passage, I invite you to take this tool out and walk through it, make some observations. What does it say? What does the context say? What does the whole book say? What does the whole Bible say in light of this passage? And then interpret it. Use scripture to interpret scripture. Do a little word study. Find out where those words land other places in scripture. And then apply it and ask that God would help you take these truths and apply them to your lives. It requires a little bit of work, but I I promise you it's worth it. Now, if you're uh, tuning in, maybe you're new to the church or new to faith, uh, you're thinking, I think I clicked on the wrong link this morning. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know this is heavy and this is a long outline. We're walking through a lot of content today, but I want to simply say that the story, the narrative of scripture is loud and clear in this passage. And here's what I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to consider that the work of Jesus was to restore humanity, that's you and me, to our proper and right state. And there's nothing more real to us than brokenness, than pain. We all experience brokenness and pain, every single one of us. In this story, it says that Jesus healed them all. That there were people who are broken, who are sick, who are weary, tired, injured. They came to Jesus and he healed them all, which is a good indication of what he's after here in the passage. And then he get, gets to this, this man who was demon oppressed, oppressed by the very thing that caused all of the sin and the pain and the brokenness of humanity was the demonic influence, the satanic influence on the world, the forces of darkness in the world. And he comes to this man and he rebukes this demon and he casts it out showing very clearly that his mission, his plan was to overcome the darkness and restore humanity to its proper state. That's what I want you to hear this morning. That's what I want you to consider this morning. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, wherever you might land this morning, I want you to consider what Jesus is doing here in the passage. He's restoring brokenness back to its proper state. And that's what he wants to do for you. 
And so he rebukes people that would say he's doing anything other than that. That's all this is about. And I invite you, if you haven't embraced a faith in Jesus Christ, asking for him to forgive and to heal your brokenness, you can do so right now. And I invite you to come on down to ABC, join one of our groups, come to our services on Sunday morning, call the office, meet with one of us during the week, get some help, get some resources to know how to do that. That's what the whole story of the Bible is an invitation for us to see what Jesus is doing, to receive what he's done, and then to walk with him in joining his mission. Let me pray. Father, we've walked through a very difficult passage for us, and I know for you it's not difficult. You have it here for a reason, and, and your desire is that we would dig a little, I think, that we would wrestle a little because it means... God, that we care, that we want to honor you, that we want to do right by you, and we want to be changed by you. And so I pray, Lord, that if there's anything misguided in our approach of interpretation this morning, you'd remove it. Even just deafen our ears to the words that were spoken, if they're not true and in line with your word. And anything that's true that we can grab onto as an affirmation of faith, as a um, as a reminder of your good work in creation, Lord, may you reinforce that and make that clearer for us. Teach us to use these tools so that we can study your word on our own and continue to digest scripture and be transformed by it each and every day. Thank you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. I trust that uh, today's been helpful for you. If you, um, again, if you need any resources, please give us a call at the church office. Um, Come on down to a service uh, on Sunday mornings, 8, 9, and 1045. Um, As always, following our services, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to process with you any of this information. Um, Thanks for hanging in this morning. Um, I hope that it's helpful for you and that you can walk away with some tools in how to study your Bible. Um, on your own in an inductive way in the future. Have a great Sunday. Thanks.